Welcome to Voices of Nature. I'm Bob Ludke, an advisor to Global Conservation Corps and the creator of the Voices of Nature podcast. Global Conservation Corps is a nonprofit organization with a mission of bridging the gap between communities and wildlife. We believe that in order to have a world with wildlife and healthy ecosystems, we must facilitate a mutually beneficial relationship between wildlife and the people who live alongside it. We do this by working with youth in the areas outside Kruger National Park in South Africa to promote conservation education and jobs within the wildlife economy, such as park rangers and guides. We're driven by the belief that if tomorrow's leaders know and appreciate the value of nature, wildlife stands a chance to grow and flourish. Voices of Nature is a podcast by Global Conservation Corps dedicated to sharing the voices of young, passionate leaders committed to saving and protecting the world's most threatened natural resources. By creating this podcast, we want to showcase the amazing work of people living and working in some of the most challenging places in the world, but also explore solutions that all of us can be part of in an effort to protect wildlife and the ecosystems that all of us depend on for healthy, prosperous lives. Our guest today is John Jerko, the Creative Director of Global Conservation Corps. John has a passion both for nature and for making films since he was a child. A little bit by choice and a little bit by the realities of COVID-19, John has been in South Africa working on a number of creative projects for Global Conservation Corps since March, much longer than anticipated to say the least. John, as one who has witnessed your work and the lives of the people you've impacted, I wanna commend you for your dedication and your perseverance in the face of some very real challenges. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate it and really glad to be a part of this, uh, one of your first episodes for this podcast. So thank you so much for having me. My, our pleasure. And we're, we're so glad you can join us from South Africa. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite a year. <laughs> John, and before we get into your recent work, tell us a little bit more about your background and what inspired you to use film as a medium by which to give, your, to give a voice to nature. Yeah, for sure. And I can, I guess it's kind of two different things, how I got into film and and why I'm so into nature and excited about the projects and what GCC is doing. I guess starting with the the nature side, I kind of grew up in rural Northeast Ohio in a little village called Yankee Lake. And I was lucky my parents had a fair amount of property and most of it was actually kind of wooded uh, forests and you know streams and rolling hills and just spent a lot of time outside either like collecting bugs or frogs or you know, whatever, just spending tons of time in nature. And I just always loved reading about animals. And I was obsessed with dinosaurs, which I kind of feel like is like animals of the past. <laughs> and just really, really loved spending time outside. And I feel like, you know, kind of after high school and stuff, moved away, went to college, I kind of got away from it a bit. But I think at that time is when I really started getting into filmmaking. Um, just always loved films growing up. I mean, everyone watches movies, but was kind of just obsessed with films like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Adventures. And at some point, I, I think I took a screenwriting class and that's when I, it kind of clicked for me. And I was like, oh, wait, this is actually something you could do for a living. Uh, so I ended up switching my major at that time, uh, studied film at Bowling Green State University in Ohio uh, back when we were actually still shooting on film. I think I was one of the last of the a dying breed of people that got to train on film and have it exposed and things like that. And then, you know, did some freelance work, went out to LA for a while, worked in kind of the camera departments on some independent films, 
eventually, kind of a long roundabout way, found myself in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's where I came across uh, Matt originally and his work, Rhino Man, uh, which he had started kind of... Tell us yeah. a little bit about Matt. He's our, our colleague at Global Yeah, Education yeah. Uh, Absolutely. A, he also has a great background and, and you two have collaborated on a lot, especially over the last few months. Why don't you talk a bit about yeah, him? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Matt's become a really great friend over the last few years. And he he founded Go- Global Conservation Corps uh, about five years ago now. And at the same time started this film, Rhino Man, which is how I got involved. But his whole background is really in um, nature conservation. He really got involved with ranger training and connection to anti-poaching rangers uh, I think he got a, his master's in cheetah conservation in Michigan. So he's just super involved in um, in nature and our planet and, and trying to do good to make it a better world in the future. And we we became friends in Atlanta through this project, Rhino Man, um, and spent uh, a quite a bit of time in South Africa a couple of years ago and ended up becoming roommates. And he's just, he's got a great personality, just an amazing guy all around. And um, it's just been kind of a crazy year of, of doing some wild stuff that we can get into here in South Africa. Um, like you said, I've been here since March. But yeah, kind of just getting back to the the film too. That's kind of how I ended up kind of reconnecting that passion for nature and for filmmaking when I, I saw the original trailer of Rhino Man that was online and um, kind of connected with Matt and somehow find my, found myself starting to take over the project and helping push it to completion um, with Matt's support. So yeah, that's that's kind of where we are now. And we've gotten involved in a whole nother filmmaking project along the way. And uh, and we can go into that if you want to too. But it's been a great, great last couple of years tying the two loves and passions together. That's great. We'll, we'll talk a bit more about that and, and your work on Rhino Man. But maybe before we do that, John, you could help educate the uneducated or at least <laughs> educate me. Tell me a little bit about filmmaking. I mean, it is more than standing behind a camera. It involves a, a, a lot of setup, a lot of preparation to get to the, the very polished end product. When you, when you talk about filmmaking, when you talk about creating these movies, what, what goes into it from an almost soup to nuts perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and there's so much, and I feel like I've been learning so much in the last couple of years working on these films as well. Um, I mean, it's it's everything from just the planning stage, you know, you're kind of concepting an idea to, um, you know, doing some writing and scripting. And it's, it's different with every project. These are documentary films. I also uh, do some work on scripted films where you're writing a screenplay and you're kind of hiring talent and everything is much more controlled. With a documentary, you kind of have a sense of what you are trying to create. You have maybe some core questions that you're trying to answer. But once you get out into the world and start meeting people and interviewing people and learning, uh, you have to kind of be open to letting things change and shift as well. You're learning and growing as you're going. So it's, it's yeah, there's so much prep work that goes into it. And then you kind of jump into it with a documentary and start uh, meeting people and recording interviews and learning new things. And that that can really shift and change the path and trajectory of the, the film uh, as you go. And with Rhino Man, which has been going for about five years now, I wasn't in the uh, initial stages of it, but just knowing a little of the history, it kind of started out as a, a short film, almost like a Kickstarter for GCC, the nonprofit. And then once they they realized that there were some of these amazing stories, 
it started to snowball and grow into this deeper story. And then when I got involved, we kind of had to, we had so many different side stories that we had to kind of trim it down and find, okay, what are the core uh, heroes of the film and storylines that we want to focus on and then go deeper into those. Um, so it's such a back and forth process. And then you also have fundraising, which through the nonprofit, you know, we've got a lot of donations with the new film where we're looking for investors. So that's a whole nother thing of creating pitches and uh, business plans and legal side of things. Um, to when you're on actually on the ground and you know, you're the logistics of setting up interviews, locations, uh, getting release forms, uh, actually working with other people to shoot the film. You know, there's video, there's audio, there's lights. Um, and then once you have everything, you have to go back and edit it. And, you know, with a documentary where it's more fluid, you might get to a certain point where you're like, oh, wait, we, we really need this part of the film. We didn't realize it, but now we need to try and go back and see if we could capture that to really complete it. So it's kind of this back and forth uh, process that uh, always seems to take longer than you you anticipate. But I think in the end, you know, it's it's so rewarding because you get to tell a story in a way that can connect with so many more people than almost anything else that um, we do in terms of arts and communications and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's something that I'm super passionate about and gets me really excited. So, John, obviously, Rhino Man is is about the the iconic rhino, rhinoceros species. Why a film about rhinoceroses? I mean, they're they're going extinct. They're this iconic species, so well known in in Africa and parts of Asia. What's yeah. the what's kind of your driving interest in the rhinos, and why is it so important to talk about the film to convey the habitat? The, the ecosystems, the world that these rhinos live in and, and why their their extinction must be prevented. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, when I, when I first got involved with this project, uh, my knowledge about this was very minimal. You know, for me, it was just, I knew there were rhinos out there, these amazing creatures that I'd seen a couple times in zoos. And I also knew that there was poaching and, you know, threat of them being lost. But as I've gotten more and more involved with it, just kind of learned that it's it's so much more complex than that. Uh, in terms of the rhinos themselves, I think there's less than 30,000 now in the world. Um, and I think the largest amount of them are actually in South Africa or Southern Africa. Um, at one time, I think in the, around 2008, 2009 was kind of the height of the, the poaching. They were losing about three per day on average, um, which was kind of a crazy rate. And I think at that time they were projecting they were going to go extinct around 2025, 2026, which is coming up here pretty soon. The numbers have kind of gone up and down since then, but a, a lot of it is due to anti-poaching efforts. And that's actual rangers on the ground in these protected areas that are armed and fighting against armed poachers that are breaking into these reserves and trying to take the horn. The horn itself is actually worth up to, I think it's about $100,000 per gram right now, or sorry, per kilogram. And a horn can be up to about five kilograms. So that's like potentially a half a million dollars in a horn. And especially for people that live along a lot of these reserves and national parks where these rhinos live, they, they don't have a lot of money and opportunity is very low for jobs and employment. And so they're just, they just become easy targets for these crime syndicates that are like, hey, if we give you a little bit of this money, which might be almost a year's worth of money for you, 
uh, just to give us some information or tell us where you might know or where Rhino is or actually go and actually do the poaching. So there's this just whole complex dynamic of people that live on the outside and their living situations to the amounts that these horns are fetching on the markets um, to just so much corruption at every level, uh, even even within you know a lot of the ranger units and governments that makes it so difficult to protect this wildlife. So with Rhino Man, you know, a big part of it is, you know, I think on one hand, educating people about the situation. And I know there's more and more films kind of coming out on this topic. But what I think makes our film special is that we really try to focus on the people. And it's also kind of tied in with GCC's mission of bridging the gap between communities and protected areas and reserves and the wildlife. But, you know, like I mentioned, so many of these people live in fairly impoverished conditions and don't have much opportunity. I mean, I've met so many amazing people and they have the the smarts and the knowledge and the desire and the drive, but just because of the current economic situations, they just don't have the opportunity to get the type of employment that could give them a real solid living. And so it, it really creates this dynamic where they are, like I said, very uh, susceptible to being uh, pulled away by these these syndicates. And then in the, in the national parks, you know, a lot of these guys that are the rangers, they're the ones that they don't they don't make a ton of money. I think a lot of them make somewhere between you know five hundred and fifteen hundred U.S. dollars a month to protect this wildlife. And not only are they in danger of you know the wildlife that they're walking around. There's lions. There's elephants. There's the rhinos themselves. But there's also these poachers that are coming in and trying to pick off this wildlife. So we, we really dig in deep into the stories of these rangers. And on one hand, we're following uh, an amazing ranger named Anton Zimba, who leads uh, the guys out at Timbavati Private Nature Reserve, which is an amazing reserve uh, in South Africa that has uh, a strong uh, population of rhinos. And we follow his story and kind of his path defending the wildlife. But then we also uh, connect with uh, a man named Ruben DeCock, who is an amazing ranger trainer, and his work at the Southern African Wildlife College. He's no longer with them, but for years he trained thousands of rangers um, all the way from kind of entry level, which is where we, we see them in this film. They go through a selection process where it's kind of like a boot camp and it's very physical and test their mental state, their emotional states, and their passion for wildlife. Because if they're not into it for the right reasons, they're not going to make it through. And um, through this process, they choose the people that then go through and become trained and become rangers. So we follow their story and what they have to go through. And then we follow the rangers in Timbavati and really show what these guys are sacrificing. And, and what we're trying to do too is hopefully create local heroes um, so the people that are, are living here in South Africa near these reserves see what these guys are going through and how much they really uh, desire to protect the wildlife, to support their families, that they're humans with, with you know, uh, human feelings and families and, and also sacrificing a lot to, to protect this wildlife for the greater of the nation and the world. So in that way, we hope that, you know, there could be some small change in perception of what these guys are doing out here uh, locally and internationally. It's kind of a, a big, complex story, 
but I think it's it's really worth telling, and we have some amazing uh, characters that we're following to bring it to life. That's great, uh, and I you know I think all of us at Global Conservation Corps are so excited um, as we're seeing this film come together, and and we're we're just looking forward to the day that it's finalized and, and released because it really is, John, a, a true passion project on your part. One Thank one you. point I want to pick up on is is an observation that I made listening to you, which is this isn't just about arming rangers and sending them into the field to stop poachers through mm-hmm. you know, potentially violent conflict, but really perhaps the best way to address poaching is to get much more you know, deeper into, into these communities, into society, and look at it more from a perspective of systems change, right? You have this, mm-hmm. it's really the, the underlying cause of these, some of these challenges, from what I'm hearing, is the lack of socioeconomic opportunity for the people in and around the parks, and even to an extent, the rangers, given the, at times, low wages that they're paid. Can you, is that a kind of hypothesis of mine correct? That we, we, we need to go much deeper than just actually stopping the specific crime of a poacher trying to take down an animal like a rhino. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I th- I'm hoping that that comes across in this film and in the new film. I think we go into it even deeper. But uh, one of our star characters, Anton, who I mentioned earlier, you know, chatting with him, he's been a ranger for, I think, 25 years, maybe even more than that. And, you know, I I was kind of mentioning this to him, you know, how does it feel to potentially have some people look at you like this soldier out there with a a big gun just standing there, you know, trying to shoot at people and and things like that. And he's like, you know, the the situation demands kind of the circumstances that we have. He's he's like, you know, originally we're we're supposed to be environmental monitors. Rangers typically before this poaching with the rhinos got very severe. The rangers were out there monitoring the environments. They might have had a, a weapon for just self-protection um, from the wildlife, but it wasn't as much of a, a militarized kind of situation as it is now. And I've heard it from him say that we're just kind of the final line of defense and we're out here biding time. We're not we're not really the solution, but we're just kind of holding off the kind of worst case scenario until uh, things like the economic situation can change, things like kind of just the cultural perception of the value of this wildlife uh, can change. And and he agrees, you know, most of these kids and even even a lot of the adults now have that live along the, these fence lines have never seen wildlife in person. And so they're, they're just been so disconnected from what's actually out there and what the value is of it. So I think that's, you know, a huge part of what GCC is doing and why I'm excited about the work that's happening at GCC is because, you know, they're GCC, we're, we're educating um, the youth on conservation and the wildlife, but ultimately we're trying to create uh, opportunities for these, these kids as they grow up to be able to, to find work that, you know, has a real living wage that they can support their families and they can also, uh, take ownership and responsibility for the environment um, in a way that has meaning to them. Um, so that uh, just gets me really excited. And and like I said, Anton and, and a lot of these rangers 
um, understand from a very personal, very um, direct way that what they're doing is kind of just biding time for this greater change that needs to happen. Let's talk now a bit about the the rhinos as a, as a species, right? I mean, they're, you know, for those of us not in, not in the parks, not in these habitats, they're, they're more than just a, you know, a rugged looking face in a, in a photo, right? They're, they're very integral to the, the healthy functioning of the, the ecosystems. And, and therefore the, the preservation of them is, goes far beyond just whether or not we lose an iconic species. It's really whether or not we're able to ensure the healthy functioning of a, of an ecosystem. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I could talk lightly about it. Um, my training's kind of not in that area. So it's mostly what I've, I've kind of learned along the way, but you know, in, in uh, South Africa in these reserves that we're at, most of the rhinos here, well, all the rhinos here are either white rhinos or black rhinos. Um, and they're, they're all grazing animals and they definitely have an effect on, you know, the, the amount of, uh, different plants and how they're distributed along these reserves. Um, and, and, you know, rhinos are the, the most threatened right now, but it's, it's kind of like this effect that, you know, if the rhinos go, then what's next? Because the, the people that are, are hunting them for the horn are going to kind of look for the next market, which elephants, you know, have been, um, hunted a lot for their ivory. And once the rhinos are gone, that ivory is going to become, you know, kind of next in line. Pangolins are another animal. And so it's it's kind of this almost like a domino effect that once one species goes, it's just a matter of time before another. And sure, maybe we could do, you know, be okay without the rhinos or a couple of other species. But at a certain point, we're going to we're going to hit uh, this kind of wall where ecosystems are going to collapse on a larger level. And that's going to have ripple effects onto our own food production and and, you know, the oceans are another huge area where um, they're, they're degrading at a, a very fast level. And if we lose too many species, then, you know, things can collapse at a much faster rate and we can be left in a pretty bad spot. I mean, ultimately, nature is going to take its course. Things have gone extinct many times. Uh, you know, many more creatures have gone extinct than are alive today in the world. But um, if we want to be able to live in a healthy world, and our species wants to continue for a long, a long time uh, beyond our generation, then we need to, to find ways to preserve what we have and find better ways to kind of live with our natural environment. So building on that point, John, how, how can those of us who are not on the front lines of these conservation areas, in, be it in Africa or South, Af or South Asia, wherever they may be, help? Or how can we take action? And in what, what, how can we use our talents and our resources to help people like you, the rangers like Anton, who are kind of face to face with these threats every day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways. I mean, one of them, the most simple way is, you know, just kind of learn more, uh, go online, follow people, watch, watch films like, you know, Rhino Man when it comes out and, and there's so many other amazing films out there and then share those with other people. So that's kind of the first step is just kind of learning and and sharing and seeing what's out there. Um, but then there's also, you know, like we were talking, these rangers and and other efforts to kind of prevent the immediate loss of these species like the rhino. 
in terms of anti-poaching and other methods to, to protect them, trying to find ways to support them through organizations. I know GCC, we do a lot of work to help and support the rangers here, but there's a, a bunch of other great organizations you can find out there that do that kind of work. And then for the long term, uh, looking for organizations that support the education and creating opportunities for people that live along these protected areas, because, you know, it's, it's not just South Africa. There's a lot of, a lot of other countries around the world that have protected areas and similar situations with, um, with people and tough situations living near them. Um, so looking for organizations and ways to help them as well, uh, will kind of help with the long-term goals of creating a, a world that can sustain that's great. Thank you for that perspective. I want to talk a little bit about all the other work that you've been doing in South Africa. You've been doing a lot more than than just working on rhino man and the, the conservation of the rhino habitats. You know, back in in March, you you boarded a one of the very last international flights leaving the U.S. Um, before we we went into lockdown due to to COVID nineteen. And you know, I believe I was one of those who was uh, urging you not to go. Uh, I think it's important to to go on record saying that, and now to go on record saying that I, I'm glad you ignored my advice, uh, given all the, the wonderful work that you that you've done. What was fueling your sense of urgency to uh, well to ignore the advice of people like me and to to get to South Africa as soon as you could? Yeah, yeah, and you know I, I appreciate everyone's and help and advice, and you know I know everyone was just looking out for the the best and my safety. And it was kind of a crazy time and no one really knew what was about to happen. Uh, I mean, originally I was planning on coming to South Africa the end of March uh, to spend a couple of months finishing up Rhino Man. But like you said, the the pandemic hit and I think I got a call from Matt on maybe it was like the 15th of March, somewhere around there. And he was like, in two days, the borders are closing. Uh, so if you don't get here, you're not going to be able to make it. So at that point, I had that decision to make. And you know, I think what what drove me was really I I was I kind of de- decided at the beginning of the year that I was going to put everything and fully commit to this film and Rhino Man and get it completed no matter what. So that was kind of at the back of my mind. But uh, I think when it came down to it, I was like, you know, I just I just want to live the better story. So I figured even if I got on that airplane, got to South Africa, and they turned me around it would be a, a better story than just saying, you know, I just kind of decided to hang out in Atlanta. So at that point, I just kind of went for it. And luckily, uh, two days later, I think it was the 17th of March, I arrived in South Africa. And other than the little temperature that's scanned that everyone's kind of used to now, um, it was pretty easy to get through the border. No one really questioned me. And I don't even think they checked my baggage. So it was it was uh, way easier than I thought it was going to be. <clears throat> but once I was here, you know, things started locking down here in South Africa. They actually uh, did a good job at locking things down very quickly. I think they realized that their healthcare system just wasn't set up to to manage uh, widespread COVID cases. And they were already starting to pick up. I think we were around maybe 1,500, 2,000 when I got here. Uh, it might have been a little less. Maybe it got up to that within that first month. But um, quickly we realized that we weren't going to be able to shoot the Rhino Man project the way we planned. You know, we had a a director of photography, Justin Sullivan. He was going to come up from Cape Town. Um, We were kind of in the process of buying out uh, some of the the film IP from a partner. And everything kind of froze up at that moment as 
uh, COVID kind of took over the world and uh, everyone just started, you know, doing Zoom calls and staying at home. So it was it was a few months of just, you know, I, I had a lot of amazing, actually reflective time where I got to do some writing and just thinking and um, reading, tons of reading. So for like, you know, maybe a couple of months, just very introspective, but I was I was trying to be open to possibilities of, you know, maybe there's maybe there's another project here kind of under my nose. And while I was waiting, I also did end up doing a couple of, of videos for uh, one, one main project that you and the whole team helped out with was supporting the Rangers again uh, with COVID relief packages. So we, we managed to get enough uh, funds together to support all of the Rangers at Timbavati and their families for six months with food. So that was, that was an amazing process to see how quickly that came together. I think from like the idea until we had the money, until we were actually out there delivering was maybe like a week and a half or two weeks. Um, so made a video for that. And then I got to actually go out there with the guys on the first run and deliver the food packages. And it was just so awesome to see everyone, um, smiling and so excited because all of the Rangers for the first, I think almost two months were locked in the reserve and weren't allowed to go home because they were, they were so afraid that they could potentially bring COVID into the reserve and then have to shut everything completely down in terms of, uh, protecting the wildlife on the anti-poaching side. So, you know, these guys haven't been able to see their families. Um, it was tough even just getting them some of their paycheck wages. And so to see their smiles on their faces when we were being able to drop off some of this food was really, really awesome. And so many people uh, across GCC and GCC's network were came together to, to make that happen. So that was a, a really awesome project. And then not too long after that started, uh, I think it, it kind of happened, you know, one of the rangers that matt knew or knows uh she was trying to get her brother her younger brother through a training program so that he could have a chance of becoming a ranger and that's when we decided to to call up the college and ask them if they had any training going on and they did john could you talk oh, yeah. a little bit about the college this that yeah for sure the college you refer to is actually quite integral to to all of our work here yeah, absolutely. And I'm so in it that I forget that other people don't know what I'm talking about, but thanks for pointing that out. Uh, so yeah, it's the Southern African Wildlife College. Uh, I'm, I'm currently in Hoodsprite, South Africa, and they're about 40 minutes away from here. They're actually based on land that's a part of Kruger National Park. And I, I believe WWF um, kind of manages that land and controls it. And they have like a lease from them. But they do everything from training rangers, everything, you know, basic training, advanced training, um, all of it. And then they, they have field guide training. They have all kinds of different conservation management, anything really to do with conservation, uh, protecting the wildlife, anything, anything around that topic and those subjects. They, they have amazing training for. And what's, what's kind of special about their training in terms of the rangers is, you know, a lot of a lot of rangers that are out in, in these reserves are actually more just like glorified security guards. And some of their training covers what to do in terms of protecting from people and incursions into the, the park, but they don't have that much knowledge of the actual wildlife that they're protecting and what's going on in the ecosystems. But at the college, they do a great job at teaching them everything about, you know, the, the soil, the plants, the animals, um, how all these things connect, 
um, everything from that to the actual protection of the wildlife too, and how that connects to the communities on the outside. So it's just a very holistic look at um, being a ranger and what that means on a reserve. So amazing organization. Uh, Matt has actually, he's studied there, he's worked there. Matt, our executive director, um, has great relationships with everyone there. So um, everything from the Rhino Man film to the new film, uh, we've partnered with them to to capture their training that goes on out there. So kind of back to where I was, we, we decided to, essentially we decided to put on our own ranger selection program because we, Matt with GCC has always wanted to do to start a scholarship program so that when these students that go through the the future rangers program, which is the the educational side of GCC, once they matric, that he wants to be able to help them get opportunities through a scholarship program. So it, it kind of just worked out that this was a way to kick off the scholarship program, help get some people trained up um, and potentially get work during this kind of tough time. And then also it gave us an opportunity to do what we weren't able to do in Rhino Man, which is to really follow these young men and women from kind of their homes in the communities with their families and friends, you know, kind of in the current situation, all the way to getting accepted into the selection process, which isn't easy. And I think it was actually the first selection that was ever run during COVID. So there was a social distancing mask. It was a whole, whole different new experience for everybody. Uh, but it allowed us to follow them through that experience. And then the ones that made it through that selection, they went through a six-week training process to become rangers. So we, this new film actually follows that entire process. We see these young men and women uh, go through the tough selection and then through you know, the training. Um, it's not You're not going to get kicked out unless you kind of give up or, or totally fail the course, but it's still a very intense course. And these guys learn a lot and, and have to push through um, to new levels uh, emotionally and just skill wise and, and everything. So it's, it's really awesome to see them go through that process. And then we've also helped, uh, get a lot of these guys and gals jobs at, uh, neighboring reserves in the area. So we're still kind of in the process of that, but through that entire kind of big project, we, we managed for four months to shoot this whole new film that's, um, kind of coming up, which will be coming out after Rhino Man. So it's, it's just a, it's been kind of a, a very crazy time, you know, after that couple months of a lot of downtime, thinking, writing, uh, reflecting, it's just been pretty much go, go, go since maybe June um, all the way till now. And it's probably going to be like that for a while, even when I get back to the States. But it's just been, you know, so many amazing people, so many ex- amazing experiences and stories. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of can't be more grateful and thankful for this year. And, you know, I I know it's been a very tough time for a lot of people, but for me, I think it's, it's been really special and I've been able to, to make some good out of kind of a tough situation. Yeah. That's, that's really wonderful to hear. And just, you know, thank you for, for the work that you've done and, and perhaps more important, thank you for the, the enormous sacrifice you've made because, you know, you've, you've now been away from home for going on nine months now. And, Mm. and, um, Obviously, while you've done a lot of great things, it's also been a bit of a challenge, as you said. Yeah, yeah, and no, and I, I mean, thank you and the and the whole team too. I mean, without your guys' support, I wouldn't have been able to have the chance to do what I'm doing. And you know, there there's been a lot of crazy and and tough times, but 
uh, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else doing anything else. So yeah, like I said, I couldn't be more happy. Just maybe put a bit of a close on this part of the conversation, John. What's you'd mentioned that Rhino Man is is soon to be released, and the the film about the the Rangers and their training is to be released after that. Can you give us both a sense of the timeline, and then when the the movies come out, what can the rest of us do to you know participate in their release and to help spread the word? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, th- these films you just kind of keep learning more and more, and you know I've done other projects where. You know, I've kind of self-made some documentaries and I've worked on other projects, but this is the first time where I've kind of led something of this scale and then the nonprofit kind of brings a whole other level and everything. So it's the the timeline is always moving, but I, I'm feeling pretty confident that for Rhino Man, you know, we're, we're really hoping to wrap it up early next year. Um, we got an amazing editor, Christian Troncoso, back in the States, a good friend of ours that we've worked with on a lot of other projects. He's currently working on kind of the the fine cut of the film. So I'm thinking, you know, somewhere around February, March, we're hoping to, to get that film done. But then after that, there's a, a whole process of, you know, we want to get it into film festivals, which gives us exposure. We could potentially win some awards. And ultimately, we're hoping that that helps us get some dis- distribution. And, you know, nowadays it's mostly streaming. So something like a Netflix would be kind of the ideal but uh, there's a lot of other streaming platforms out there. So we're hoping, you know, sometime later next year, we're able to get it out there so that people can see it and share it and kind of spread it. And, and something we also really want to do that we've talked about since the beginning is uh, bringing that film and the, the new film down to South Africa and having screenings here in the communities, uh, in the reserves to, to kind of share uh, in celebrating these rangers and what they do locally. We're hoping that it really has some impact here as well. Uh, the new film, uh, it's going to be a much longer process. We kind of did this crazy thing of instead of your typical documentary style where you have interviews and then you have what's called B-roll supporting footage that kind of helps tell the story that the interviews uh, kind of structure for you. We decided to shoot this like uh, kind of a newer film, Honeyland, and some other films out there. Pahokee is another one that I can think of. But these films choose not to use any interviews and just capture scenes in the moment in a way that feels like you're kind of just a a fly on the wall. But at the same time, you need to structure it in a way that still tells a story, still delivers emotion without having someone talking directly to the camera. And on top of that, we, we decided to do the new film all in local languages. So other than some of the stuff at the Wildlife College, which is they're taught in English there, Everything else is mostly in Chitsanga, which is the local Shangan language here. And, you know, myself and Justin, who is the DP on it, we don't speak that language. Uh, trying to learn a little bit here and there, but definitely not enough to really get too far. So it's it's been super interesting trying to capture scenes uh, without actually knowing what people are saying and then trying to check in and, and kind of make sure we're on track. So we have way more footage than we had for Rhino Man. Um, it, we need to get translations and it's going to be a big post-production process. So, uh, kind of guessing anywhere between eight to 12 months in post-production before we get to a point where, uh, we, we can start submitting to film festivals. So, you know, Rhino Man, we're hoping comes out this, this coming year, 2021. And then if, if all works out to plan 2022 for the new film, 
2023, probably the latest. But yeah, it's it's such a a large undertaking and a, a lot to do, some fundraising to do still to get that one together. So you know, I, I would just say follow GCC on Instagram at the Global Conservation Corps and, and any of our other social networking platforms. Because I'm sure as soon as these things get close to coming out. We're going to be talking more and more about them, and that'll probably be your best bet at learning when there's going to be screenings, if there are any, and where it's going to be available online. And we can always, if people are so inclined, they can always reach out to GCC to offer to host a screening or offer to host a fundraiser to, um, you know, both bring these to fruition, but also spread the word. Because as you said before, John, you know, it's, it's just so important to raise all of our levels of awareness and education when it comes to protecting the, the species, such as rhinos, even if we can't be on the ground in places like Africa and Asia. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone wants to support, we more than happy. So just you know, go to the website or Instagram. People are watching all those accounts, so your message will get through. So one last final question, John, and, I, and the reason I ask this is I always like to end these interviews and these conversations on a, on a high note or on a positive note, however you want to think of it. And that's, you know, you've, especially over the last few months, you've seen all kinds of challenges. You've come face to face with the, you know, frankly, the ravages of poaching and the consequences that's having. Yet in the face of all of that, there's a lot to be hopeful for. And from your perspective, what should we what should we be hopeful for? What should we be excited about looking looking ahead to the future of conservation? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, heck, it's pretty easy to get go down the the gutter hole of <laughs> terrible things that are going on in the world on on the internet and you know between stuff on the elections to environment to you know it's just super easy to find that stuff. So uh, I would say you know start by not looking at that as much because I think once you get out into the world and you know all this time that I've been spending down here in South Africa I've just met so many amazing people that you know they really just want the best for their families for their communities um, for the world at large and there there's more people that are doing good out there than are that are doing bad you know if you focus on all the bad it becomes kind of like this bright burning ember but um, everyone around that is is trying to do better. So I think, you know, first just find hope and strength in the fact that there's so many people that are trying to make a change out there and really giving their all to do so. And I think if we just focus on that and what we can do day to day and take take responsibility in our world, whether that's just at home, the people around us, or, or trying to reach out and help other people across the world, um, that's the way things are going to change for the better. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot of great stuff to to look forward to in the future if we come together and focus on the good. That's a, a wonderful note to end on, John. Thank you so much, and thank you for the the conversation and all your insights. And to be honest, thank you for just the the last few minutes of this conversation because that was really so hopeful and uplifting. Absolutely, Bob. Really appreciate it. This was really fun, and looking forward to hearing more of these episodes. Well, thank you. And we are particularly excited to see Rhino Man next year in 2022. And, and hopefully the, the film about the, the work of the Rangers uh, shortly thereafter. <laughs>